Okay, good evening everybody. Um, this will be the last uh, class of, uh, of the week. Tomorrow is the Bedikas Chametz. And in 48 hours um, from tonight is uh, the Seder. And uh, you know, as I said last week when we started, I guess, part two of this Bitochen series during this shelter in place because of COVID, when we start focusing on Pesach and the Sedarim, you know, I said, I think this is the fifth class of the Nesiva Shalom part of this, and I said in class one that we have an opportunity uh, this year to have not just a Manishtana Seder, but a Seder like we've never uh, had before, really on an individual level of connecting uh, to Hashem and you know, when we look at the opportunity of the Seder in just 48 hours, I was just thinking my, my, on, on my way here, you know, the the, the amazing thing of the, this COVID, this micro, this little thing, which is so, you can't, you, you need a, a super microscope to see, um, is that it can be so powerful and, and so destructively powerful uh, and yet go unnoticed. Uh, and Lahavdil, the complete opposite, the Seder, the power of the Seder, um, you know, the opportunity of the Seder, uh, it's, if you don't appreciate, if we don't appreciate our opportunity in general, um, I, you know, I, I said a couple of uh, stories a while back about the Seder, but I remember my first year in law school, I had a, a classmate uh, whose family um, were a very prominent family in Philadelphia. The grandfather had started one of the top Firms in Philadelphia, law firms in Philadelphia, which has his name on it, uh, and they're a real reform family, very, very reform. Like barely did anything. And I remember uh, this classmate of mine who I got a little bit to study with. It was Matt, and Matt told me, "I said, Matt, do you have a seder?" He said, "Yeah." We sat there for half an hour with Grandma, who was smoking, and we just waited for the food. And like you know, he said like got nothing from the Seder. It was like a little bit of a making grandma happy type thing. And grandma herself was, didn't know what the Seder was, just that her grandparents had kept it. And I, you know, I thought then, uh, but, I, but I'm thinking even more now, like the tragedy uh, of the mats of the world. Uh, but for us, I think it's a tragedy for us uh, that if we have a Seder and don't utilize it uh, and underappreciate it, then... Uh, that would be really tragic. So we, we really have a, a, a tremendous opportunity uh, this year, more than others, to come into the Seder mentally prepared, uh, spiritually prepared, uh, not only to be cut off from the world, which is, like, I think, I believe, other uh, circuits has a lot, lot of pluses, uh, but to be turned into God and to tuned in uh, to the opportunity uh, that's here. Just, you know... Um, I mentioned briefly about the Seder last night, about really the opportunity of connecting, uh, you know, in, in, in some of the historical idea of divine providence. I, I, the past, really since the beginning of uh, about three weeks ago, I think that we've been in shelter in place for over three weeks, maybe a little bit, about three, three and a half weeks ago, when things started to, to get all serious, you know, how had increasing amounts of emails. And when I do do email, whether it's Pesach questions or 
these type of questions, the COVID questions, they're just people are online a lot more now. So I, I usually put music in the background. And I've had one song that uh, uh, I've been playing over and over. And I, like my kids have told me that there's like a song called Quarantine by Naftali Blumenthal, who's a friend of my wife's family. So kids tell me that song. There's Isha Rebo has a song. This one has a song. Uh, Something we'll be together, which I sent out the show thing on Friday. Uh, a lot of songs out there. But I told you I'm listening to this song over and over. And this song is We Go On. Uh, this song We Go On is by Simcha Liner. And so, like my daughter, I think this song came out like three months ago, but I discovered it forever. Hashkacha three weeks ago. Literally, as we came into this, so I started listening to it then. And I'll, you know, I don't listen to it all day long, but you know, when I'm doing my emails, I often find myself listening to this song. So my daughter's like, why would you listen to We Go On? What in the world does that have to do with Corona? What does the world does that have to do with COVID? Like, We Go On is like, you know, we won't give up, we go on. And I think, I, I saw, I, I ended up seeing like a few minutes of what Rebbe Lau said on Sunday, just after everybody said, like, what Rabbi Lassen on Sunday, I think, is why I was attracted to this song. Rabbi Lau, on Sunday, Chief Rabbi of Israel, a tzaddik, uh, a person who uh, himself was one of the youngest survivors of the Holocaust from Buchenwald, uh, miraculously survived the Holocaust, become the Chief Rabbi of Israel. His son uh, is a current Chief Rabbi of Israel. Um, you know, I think Rabbi Lau would speak about chizik, strengthening, coming into Pesach, so what he really what he talked about uh, is he gave a, a panoramic view of Jewish history, talking about of all the times that you would look at, at the Jewish people and you would say there's no hope. And he you know he went through biblical times, uh, the, the times in the second base of Migdash, times in, in, in of oppression in in Christian Europe uh, and in the Islamic world when it was dominant. And then you get to more recent times, 1945, we thought the Jews were over at the Holocaust, 1948, 1967s. And his point really it was, is that this is going to pass, right? This test will pass. It will, it will go, it will pass. And, you know, to realize that what, what won't pass is the opportunity that you and I have to make the most of it. And to be strengthened in, on it. And I think this song, what, I, what attracted to me is, you know, we go on. It, we don't let, and this is the, what we're experiencing today, and uh, the past few weeks is certainly uh, traumatic and tragic for many people. Um, and there's, a, again, there's a whole share, which is not the focus of share, to be thinking about the tragedy for many people. Um, and we'll say that somebody told me today they just can't handle it. And when I told them, this is a good piece of advice. You know, I think, we, you know, if, if um, there are people who are really, we all, we're all uncomfortable and we're all suffering to an extent. But there are families that are really suffering. Uh, they have loved ones on respirators and or have had losses. I got an email today of somebody I know, an older man, but he lost now his mother and father. The man's in his 60s. Uh, but he now lost his mother and father to COVID, and they, they, they had no funerals, essentially. Very two P three people there. He's no shiva. I mean, that's you know that 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 this type of thing. So I said to the person, "Listen, I, they told me they can't handle it. They can't function." I said, "I, I hear that. You have to look at it as medicine. You have to have five, ten minutes a day um, where you sit down, 
and you think about and cry about the 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 you know the human suffering of people. Perhaps you know people you can see people you don't know. You know um, uh, Jew and Gentile, obviously. Uh, um, you know, obviously, so you know it's more tragic. But just think about it, and. Um, but to, if it bothers you and it, and, it, and it stuns you and it paralyzes you, then, you, then it's like medicine. If you you can overdose and it becomes a negative, so then you have to be able to shut down so you can function the rest of the day. But I do believe that all of us need a few minutes a day where we're we're, we're just. I don't think it's healthy to go through the day every five minutes to think about it. But when we sit down and we think about you know the human tragedy that goes on around us, um, having said that. Um, on a different plane, which is what we're focusing on here, which is faith and trust, um, you know, the we go on, what it represents to me, is, and what Rabbi Lau is really saying, is that in the Haggadah, the story of the Haggadah is, is that we're the Jewish people, and we're here forever. And, you know, the, we've had in our history many ups and many downs. Uh, although for many people, it feels like the roof has fallen on our head. Uh, it hasn't. There will be a, a boker. There will be a morning. But the way we go on, the reason that we're here celebrating Pesach, 3,332 years, 3,332 years uh, since we left Egypt, uh, the reason that we're able to do that is because we had a munan bitachon. And really, it's only because we know there's a future we know that we can come into Pesach and that we could go on and we could be successful, which is, again, why we talk on is really important. I want to do a little bit of what we're picking, it's supposed to be doing, and I want to end off with an amazing, amazing of Nachman and Breslov. Actually, probably one of the, this also is one of the most impactful things which I think about often in, in many circumstances in life. This of Nachman and Breslov is an amazing uh, muscle. So, unfortunately, we're not going to get to finish this whole Nesiva Shalom but uh, you know, we'll get to what we're doing tonight, um, and we'll at least uh, pick up where we left off last night and, and touch on from the most important parts. We mentioned last night there are three focuses on, of emunah, of faith that a yid, every Jew has to have. Number one, baseline, there's a creator of the world. Number two, that there's hashkacha pratis, there's divine providence in the, in, the, in the world at large, and as us as individuals, certainly for the Jewish people, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a special, in terms of God, there's, there's a greater focus uh, uh, on Kalalias, on the Jewish people, and that the Jewish people are, are indeed, the reason there's a greater focus on the Jewish people is because the Jewish people have a unique role and a unique purpose in this world, because being the Amanev, the chosen people. Says the, let's see, Mashallah, as I yesh the vibe, for this we should be able to expa- explain and elucidate, Gam Inyan Eser Makos, the ten plagues, Hashem is super b'teres kadosh ba'arichas. The Torah it, it talks at length. In uh, in the details of all ten plagues, um, and the Torah, of course, is nitzchis. It's eternal. The Torah is chaim. It's it's a living Torah. It's not a, an, an outdated document. Hamaras haderek hashenelech, which which Torah, but means of course hara, which teaches us, which guides us on the way and the path. That we're supposed to, to walk in. The in Now, when I go back to my to my classmate Matt, the reason 
one of the reasons why his seder was 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 so unfortunate um, is because they viewed it like a history book, and a history book of the, the past from thousands, uh, uh, you know, uh, of years ago. And what is a shaykh lederus? Actually, I should just you know I say what I said over some plan to say this, but it's kedai. Um, and I, I told all my children on uh, on Shudas, on Shabbos. On Shabbos was my grandfather's yard site. My grandfather passed away uh, when I was 14 years old. He himself was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he lost his first wife and two kids. Were murdered. Pushit murdered in front of his eyes. Um, and, and you know he was a partisan. He lived in a pit for a year. He lived a very challenging life. Uh, I, I shudder sometimes when I think about his life. Um, and so I said it was my yard site. He passed away exactly 30 years ago. Um, and so I was telling my children, I told them the following story. I said there's a, a man, his name is Salah Al-Tamari. Salah Al-Tamari uh, was uh, one of the top five, I would say, people of the P- PLO for many decades. Uh, he was had uh, the, the, the National Council. He had been offered a position in Arafat's ca- council, cabinet when they had the PLO uh, for the early, uh, as, as a government with Arafat. He did turn that down, but he was arguably the most uh, critical person to start the first Intifada. And he has a book, and he writes what motivated him to encourage the Palestinians to, uh, to, to take on Israel. Uh, and caused intifada, which caused mass deaths and really changed the dynamic. He says the following story: uh, uh, Salah Al Tamare was, uh, you know, a Palestinian terrorist who was caught by Israel. He was caught by Israel in 1982 when uh, when Israel went in Operation Galilee and they went into uh, Lebanon and uh, they caught him. They caught him and he was put in jail. And over time, because of who he was, because of his Charisma, he became the main spokesman for the Palestinians in Israeli prisons. And in the early 1980s, there were many Palestinians. Because remember, the whole Lebanon war in 82-83 was because they were not attacking Lebanon, Israel. Israel went into Lebanon because of Palestinian terrorists. Uh, Arafat was at the time uh, in Lebanon, an arch-terrorist, and they Israel went in specifically to root out uh, not Hezbollah, but the PLO, okay? And so there were many Palestinians in Israeli prisons, specifically from Lebanon, some from obviously the West Bank and Gaza, and he was the ringleader. He was the head of all these Palestinians. And when they ever had to talk to the prisoners, it was Salah al-Tamari. And Salah al-Tamari says, writes the following thing in his book. He said the following thing. He said, by the mid-80s, he, it occurred to him that there's no hope, that Israel is just too much of a dominant military, and we're never going to have a Palestinian uh, people state, and our path of terrorism is not going to be successful. They're not going to give up. But so there was one event, one event that changed everything that, um, that, that his whole world outlook. He said the following thing. He said he was in prison. Of course, he was in, in, in close to very tight quarters for most of the day. And there'd be a warden where he was, you know, a, a prison officer walking back and forth constantly to make sure uh, that, uh, you know, that those prisoners were, were watched after. And so one night he sees a prison 
uh, offers her eating a, a falafel and pizza. And he said to him, he said, hey, what are you eating that for? Isn't it your, your holiday called Pesach? Isn't it your Passover? What are you eating that bread? They know what chametz is. In Israel, the hospitals will let you bring in bread. They know, they know what are you eating that bread that chametz for. So he said that the prison officer said to him, he said that, why do you care? And he says, and you know what? Why shouldn't I eat it? Because 3,000 plus years ago, there were Jews who left Egypt. What does that have to do with me today? I'm, I'm not leaving Egypt. I'm not leaving Egypt. What do I have? Why can't I have my pita? And Salah al-Tamari said that whole night he did not sleep. And he kept thinking to himself that the people who are disconnected to their past, who don't care to publicly break the most cherished traditions, we can beat these people. We can destroy such a people. Now, in the early 1980s, uh, Israel was much more secular than today. I mean, today, probably majority of Israel is either religious or traditional, traditional Masorti. Uh, there are still a very large Chiloni component, but they were significantly larger and 40, almost 40 years ago. Um, and Salah al-Tamare said to himself that we could beat them. And the next morning, when he saw the Palestinian prisoners, he says, we're not going to give in. And even if they offer us a little land, we're never going to give in. And we're going to fight back. And when he got released from prison, he, he went from person, we can beat them. Don't give up. And he spoke to tens of thousands of people. And because of that, he was one of the most responsible people um, for you know, really causing what's the, what's the first intifada. And I was telling this to my children, that, you know, that prison warden for, officer, can you imagine the damage that he did? One person, unwittingly, did that, that damage to change this person's mind. But we do, in my family, we're fortunate enough to know where we come from, and we have a connection to it. And I was telling my kids that you should know the importance of that connection. Uh, because... It's it's not the Haggadah. It's mentioning my grandfather was in his yard. So I was talking about my grandfather and connected in connection because I have very vivid memories of my grandfather, the Seder. But the Haggadah is not a history book. It's it's not. We're not not we're not eating matzah simply because that's what three thousand people. We would do that. That would be a good enough reason. But it's it's speaking to us today. It's it's a message to us today. It, it speaks to us to who we are. Today, the message, the motifs, the hashkafas, the are eternal, and they're our essence of our future. So it's over stam, not just history stories. It's history where future generations. The whole Indian of the makas, is to teach forever and for eternity faith. That everyone should know. That there is divine providence, and that God, who He is the creator of all, of everyone, of everything and everyone. And that Egypt, as I mentioned last night, that Egypt has to know not that I created the world, not that years, thousands of years earlier there was a creator who created Adam and Eve and the sun and the moon. No, Egypt has to know. I'm Hashem. I'm involved yet now. Paro. Paro. It was the answer. Paro. Paro says, "Me Hashem. Who is this guy that I should listen to him?" 
Or he says, I don't know this God. You told me that God says send you out? God says to who is this God? Who is this Hashem? So, was a dying in, in Prague, a, a student uh, friend and, uh, of the Maharami Prague, Levar in Haida, Gimoha Pomi Kiani Hashem, Kaomra, but Skilas Makas, that Sach, but Makas Dam, as a Teda, right? We say, when we the Makas, you should know. It was me, the Kanya Mida, as I mentioned last night, every Maka was not only exactly fitting the bill, but it, it hit Egypt, only Egyptians. And you could be your neighbor had it, and not you, because it, it was a Jew. And it, and it hit the Egyptians in everything that they did to the Jews. It's what happened to them. Um, and also Ba'achav. We know that Sach Ba'achav and Adash, we say every time Teda, it should be known. Ki'ani Hashem Be'kerev Ha'aretz. Ba'achav Be'barad Ba'var Teda Ki'en Kamon Ba'aretz. Because Paro denied the three in Yanam. Paro denied the Creator in three uh, ways. First, he, created, he, he denied there was an ultimate creator in the Metzies Hashem. And even if he said that he said there was, it was an ultimate creator, because uh, Paro himself looked at himself as a god, he thought he, that he was, that you don't need to have a god. Uh, and either if there is a god, he didn't believe in divine providence, and he certainly did not believe um, that Hashem could ru- rule over on the... Uh, on all of all of nature, can I get gimel on yanim elo and to to uh, to uproot these three heresies, these three denials of Paro and the, and the Egyptian people as a whole? Uh, we have the makas as teda. No, you'll see God. You'll see exactly uh, the consequences. is to, the first teda was to show there's a creator of the world. The second teda is God is involved in the world. And the third teda is God, the, the physical world. The material world is literally, you know, even though there's an Elohim, the God creates it, you know, as a self-contained um, world. Usually, it's not per se a discussion tonight, but it's a, it's a major discussion in certain Kabbalistic books, why God created a world of nature, which nature runs of its own, and how you see God in the nature, and the exceptions to that rule. But, of course, the to the extent Hashem lets nature run its course, it's because Hashem lets nature run its course. And God Himself controls nature uh, itself. Just a further explanation. You know, we say in the Haggadah, there's ten makas, and we say, and then it's a Rehuda made Simon and made these acronyms, the Tzach Adash Bachav, right? The Tzach Dam to break it down. Shulchara lo muvan. It's like you know. You think of the Haggadah. Oh, okay, very nice. He said an acronym. Wow. You know. You know. You're Behuda. Behuda bari. Behuda bari is one of the greatest students of one of the five great students of Rabbi Akiva. So we we say and Rabbi Yehuda said that's Hadash Bachav. Like that's like a big deal. Uh, my 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 five year old son could do that. Right, what what is he? What is the Haggadah telling us that Rabbi Yehuda made these acronyms? He went to Mechadish Davar. Obviously, there's everything in the Haggadah, everything about Yiddishkeit has depth uh, and, and, and meaning. So, he said, we really want to, to, to be Mechadish Bedvar of Yechiba Loimar. And so, Rosh Hashem Asher Makos, but he wanted to teach us that 
the makas were literally to break it down at each one of there were groupings, not that they were just Rosh tapes, it was groupings of three major things. Three remember the makas the, the makas went on for a period of one year. It's a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah in Idias. It's also a Majus Rabbah. The makas from the beginning of the first plague to the end of the last plague was one year. A whole year. Uh, and that these makas literally were to uh, illuminate to the world, to the midstream, and for the Jewish people for eternity uh, of, of divine providence. The first three makas were Ditzach. Ditzach ayin metachas lefanai shetach ha'adama. K'moshcha said, Natas yadcha amemi mitzama al-naras v'ha'yorim v'lagamim. So Moshe, the first two makas would go to the the Nile River. The Nile River was the god of Egypt, was which was the dominant. You know, if you think about Egypt, what made Egypt the world power in the ancient world was its juxtap- its, its geographic location on the Nile. The Nile was a source of life for Egypt. It was what they worshipped. It's what empowered Egypt. It was not the fifteen percent of their GDP. It literally was everything was connected to GDP. As much as you think of high-tech in Silicon Valley, right? how much, what percent of Silicon Valley runs around tech, Egypt ran much more, without the Nile, Egypt was nothing. So Moshe goes to the Nile, to the Aretz, and it hits the Nile, and then he hits, by Kinem, he hits the ground. Esa Aretz. Um, that's the first three. Um, okay. The, the next Makkas were the, what was created on the ground. The Nivrayim Apriyadam, Arov, the wild, the wild creatures, Dever hit much of the the the, the susim, the horses, the donkeys. Shrin, of course, hit humans. So the the first three hit water and land, and specifically the Nile, and then it hits animals and humans. What's created on the land? Vamakas hachronos, and the last four bachab, what things were lamaila. Things above the ground. Um, Therefore, Hashem specifically showed everything in creation. Mamish, everything. That's why I said even weeks ago, my last Shabbos drasha was to think. That COVID is made in China, if certainly geographic, it started China. It's made from. There's nothing that doesn't come from Hashem. There's not. There's not. There's not one drop of rain that doesn't come from Hashem. There's not one microbe in the world. There's not one. There's not one star in the in, in, in the galaxy or in any galaxy that doesn't come from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Um, and that really, it was to show that on the ground, everything on the ground, you know, choshek darkness. Barred the hail, everything from above, it all is from 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 from, from Hashem. Um says there also and the same thing by to tell us um and Hashem um, is Moshe b'chol b'ri'a b'shamayim u'shmei ha'shamayim ba'aretz v'chol asher aleha in all um, uh, and everything on the land b'chol ha'yakum 
Ein oid mavada. There is nothing uh, besides um, Hashem. There's a lot more on this topic of the makas. So I'm not gonna have time to do it, but I just I'm gonna go to the ending. But I, I, I'm just you know connected at, at the end. Um, I'll go back in the paragraph. The last few paragraphs, I'm just, it's so good. I'm, if I keep it to 915, I just, I don't want you to miss out. It's so good, this stuff. Uh, I say good, it's a geschmack, but it's important. Uh, you know, I, we, we need the Muna always. We need the Muna to come into the Sefer, uh, Seder. And this year, um, the litmus test of those who will go on, uh, not just in the future, but go on spiritually and be matzliach, be successful now is, is going to be is is emunah b'tachon. Umesubermana asaba kashem eslanim that sheechad me'anashev kodem sheeskasha elav hayemutshrod mekushes binyanim emunah. The first time a rebel, somebody before he came to the rebel was filled with all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of why, how is the world this way? It's not fair. Is there a guy? I you know someone sent me an article. I read the article and I look at the bottom. The first thing I see it says. I don't believe in God after this whole event. I, like, I don't understand. Like, this guy doesn't understand. This guy doesn't understand how his radio works. He, he uses a radio, but he doesn't understand. Like, this, who, some bus driver, some taxi driver, or even some lawyer or doctor, like, he understands everything in the world, but... No, he doesn't understand, but I can't believe in God to understand this. You know, there are people, they, they have questions that come from their own deficiencies. So the guy, this person had their own questions and their own deficiencies, uh... And he didn't, when he went to the Rebbe, uh, you know, and he was bothered. Um, and he went to, to the righteous answers. Always say Yiddishkeit, Judaism has all the answers. You just have to be able, the Seder, we ask questions, right? We, we delve into, because if you do look into Torah, you will get your answers if you come in honestly and looking for truth. Uh, and he went around and he had his questions, asked so he got his answers. He got good answers. Good, good answers to Dr. Terutsa to his, to his answers. But every time he went home, his questions came back. Every time he went home, his questions came back. He had an answer come back. I actually had one person I was dealing with for a while. I, I must have answered this person on the same question, I don't know how many times. Not a hundred times, but like several times. And this is it. They, they agreed, and then they would come back. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it like rehash itself almost. Um, so yeah, the questions come up again. At Shabbat, and so he, came, so he went to different righteous people, and then he came to the son of a rebel. Veshatak um, um and he threw up all his questions. Vehuzal lo armelo shum hasfarim elazos. The son of a rebel, as opposed to his other rebels, they answered him. He said, "I agree." He went home and came back with his questions. Afterwards, some of them didn't answer him. Some of them did not answer all his faith questions of faith and doubt. Just the following thing. Paro Hikshakushis Mi Hashem. Paro said, who is God? I don't see God. Let God is Hashem. Uh and for every one of Paro's questions, he got clapped, you know, he got punished. He had a plague. And he started to tell this person who asked, listen, the person with the Son of Rabbi was not a you know an unaffiliated Jew from uh, you know, uh, Santa Cruz, who doesn't know anything. It was a 
religious Jew who had these questions, so the answer is a little bit different. Uh, he knew the Makkas where you can, you know. But he told this Jew, um, he told him, started telling this Jew how painful and how serious the Makkas were. Achin um, Gufa Makkas Upetzayim. And again, this is a chasisha story, but it's something that was about that this Jew literally started, the explanation literally, he felt the Makkas, as he, the Rebbe said it. And, um, uh, and when, the point, what he was saying, saying to him is, you know, the, the Makkas is to tell you uh, itself, Hashem gave these makos, you said. He gave the whole Mitzrayim was to teach you emuna, right? Let 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 us say that there are things that we don't understand in this world. If you have emuna, you don't have questions. I mean, the whole point of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim that you should never have questions. Why don't you have questions? Do I, does Menachem Levine know all the answers to the world? No, I do not. Do I know why COVID-19 is going? No, I do not. Do I know that why my great-grandparents were murdered in the Holocaust? No, I do not. But I do know, I do know without any doubt, and with all of my heart and all of my soul, there's a Kosh Baruch in this world, and he gives, he puts the world, and, and us as an individual, in exactly where we wish to What is, words? what's the greatest part of that, that, that Emunah? Where does it start from? It starts from Mitzrayim. And so, therefore, you only have questions if you lack a base of Amuna. Right? We don't. We don't understand. We don't, no one understands everything. Do I? I, I if I take, I take certain, you know, I, I take Zyrtec from my allergies. I have no idea how Zyrtec works. Um, I know it helps. That's so why I take it. Right? You know, why do I take it? Because I, I, I because I see that it works. Right? Well, I know Torah is true because one of the main reasons, I, one of the one, not so at all, is Yitzhak Mitzrayim and everything about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So all of these secondary questions you, you don't have, and the more emuna a person has, not just that they don't have questions, God forbid if they have trauma or tragedy, much deeper than that, they're able to see what they're supposed to be doing under all circumstances, even when they don't know all the whys. And this is important, because none of us will all have all the answers always. But we know, when you know that there's a Kurdish Barco, and you know there's a divine providence, and you know that we're the chosen people. You will know what to do for yourself. It's actually amazing. There's a gra. He says that deep down, every person, Volgoin says this, he says this in Mishlei, because of Amunah, if you look at your life, you will always know the right answer. Even though there's no prophecy today, that if you, be, if you have Amunah, you'll be able to always make the right decision because you, you will know that you inside of you lies the answer you need. That you need. If you sometimes we don't want to hear it, <laughs> you, don't to, you don't want to do it. But but when you have a muna, the, the other things don't don't, don't bother you. Therefore, itzis with Shrayim is Esther Makas is Teufus Malkum. It's a main thing. The Makas we skip part of it. The Maral and a lot of interesting things over here. Uh, can come to pure muna. What does pure muna mean? That to always know wherever you are, that there's a creator who's involved in your life, who's involved in every aspect of the world, who puts everything where it's supposed to be, and you have a purpose in this world. The, the idea of a chosen people is for us as a nation, but each one of us as individuals has a set goal and role to play eternally in this world. And even if a person is lacking in the Muna, the Seder and learning about the Seder and focusing on the Makkas certainly allows a person 
to 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 connect to Amuna, and it's a schus of Amuna that we're, we're going to be redeemed. Therefore, it says the Nesiv Hashem. That's why remembering Egypt is even at some level more important than Sinai, even though Sinai is the greatest moment of the world, is the whole purpose of the world, except the Torah Sinai. But the, the leaving of Egypt is the main foundation of faith. Um, we remember Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim twice a day. When we say Shema, we remember them in the morning, and Shema at night, we remember Mitzrayim. It's the root of all of Torah, and also the of Kabbalah Torah. God is involved in the world. You know, uh, as I mentioned last night, you can't make up a Seder. You can't make... It was mass revelation to every single Jew. Right? To every Jew who witnessed this. Not 4,000 people here, or 10 people, or Joseph Smith in a cave, or Muhammad in a desert, or unnamed people in India. Right? Every single Jew saw Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, and every Jew passed down that story Right and all the details of the, of, of that story. And sitting there and focusing on the Seder and thinking to yourself, we go on. <laughs> Look at us, Klal Yisrael. You know, I'm still going to turn and restore my grandfather. My Seder, my grandfather who saw, you know, his grandparents. You know, and, and, and you can look at a Seder. You can look at a Haggadah from a thousand years ago. You think what happened to Jewish people a thousand years ago? Could you, you, my grandfather, my grandfather, and was running in the Holocaust in a billion years? He would never imagine six and a half million Jews in Israel. Who could have imagined a hundred years ago? A hundred years ago, in the foggiest dreams, people couldn't have imagined what's going on. To have yeshivas and you know, on normal circumstances in, in Jerusalem and all around the world. Right, we go on, right, and, and, and the, we, we go on because we're connected to, to Hashkacha. We believe Hakadosh Baruch Hu is constant, constant, constant uh, with it. But here is the and therefore, on, on every day we remember Egypt. We wear tzitzis. We say remember Egypt. We wear tefillin. We make we make kish. Friday night, Zeichel Remember, we left Egypt. How much of Yiddish kind of Judaism, the mezuzah, remember reminds us about leaving Egypt. Everything starts with leaving Egypt. It's the, it's the foundation of faith. Um, even even though the purpose is to get the Torah at Sinai. The reason why to constantly remember Egypt is because it's the foundation of our faith. And the, and the starker, the, the stronger we are in our faith, the more real our Amuna is to, to, to us. We're great in all things. Therefore, the Zerah Kodesh says, for this reason, we, we, we always remember the leaving of Egypt. All holidays, all Shabbosim, all the all Kiddush, and all the prayers, and every Shemona Esrei, and every we say about leaving Egypt. Tachazi, says the Zerah Kodesh, come see, it is the foundation, Vishurasha. And the root of the Aresa, the Chol Pekude, and all of the mitzvahs, the Chol Mahamnesh, the Masadisa, and all of the true faith of Israel. When do we when do we focus on it? We focus on this Emuna at the Seder, right? That we you know, and the 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 the, the spark plug, the the best time, therefore, is at the Seder when we, when we sit there. We understand uh, that these facts 
of you know of mitzvahim that we that, that Hashem creates the world, Hashem's involved in the world, and we're the chosen people. And we say behold, door of a door. In every generation, there are those who try to destroy the Jewish people. Sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's spiritually. Why are we no match at the same? It's because we realize that we're here. We're here today, you know. Uh, we are here. I, I'm a Levite, you know. I think to myself, I, I even have the Pashat Levite genealogy. That means I'm going back 3,300, 30, more than 3,300, almost 3,700 years to Levi. Um, father, father, son, father, father, son, father, 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 son, father, all only li- paternal lineage, straight back. You know, Levi, son, Levi, son, Levi, son, Levi, son, Levi, son, right? How in the world are we all here? You know? And it's because, it's because of the Simona, it's because of the Seder, that we are the eternal, eternal people. And the reason where well, there's millions of Jews in the Israel state because we've never given up this faith in the, in, in the, the, the best place as a nation and certainly as individuals. I don't think, by the way, it is a coincidence. That Tamar, that, that, that Salah al-Tamari, that Pesach story, you know, why was it Pesach? It could have been he saw him breaking the Shabbos. Probably broke the Shabbos. <laughs> guy eats chametz on Pesach. You don't think he broke the Shabbos? He, he didn't think he breaks, the Shabbos, he breaks Shabbos. You don't think he broke Shabbos? You don't think that he did all kinds of averus in front of this prisoner? He, he just woke up on Pesach? You don't think he probably ate on Yom Kippur? But it was Pe- it's Pesach. The, a Jew to be connected to Pesach, it means that is the source of Ramunah. And Latoyev for ourselves this year, you know, we really, 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 it's, there is no more important time than any year to do a Seder and to focus on Amunah. And Amunah means our... our, our when we believe in Hashem, we're close to Hashem. When Amunah means it's transformative, it changes us. Really, I, you know, for those who are on this call, who have been at my Seder, I always, my best part of the Seder, personally, is the end of the Seder. It's Halal Nirtzah. Because when you finally get to the end of the Seder, and you're so sublime with God, you can really say, you can really connect to Hashem. And this year, more than any other year, I think it's really a, a golden opportunity for that. You know, one of the... Um, I guess, you know, in life, I we, all of us often have things that um, we expected one thing and something else happens. Or we had things that we, we, um, we wanted it to happen or we, we were hoping to happen and it doesn't always happen. And, and you know, really, um, I think the litmus test of Amuna in faith is being able to uh, see the world uh, as what Hashem wants and not what we want. And the way we can live a life of following what Hashem wants, like we want, we want this and something else happens, is certainly when we talk about There's one piece of Nachman Brasil, and often when things, you know, I've got curveballs like all of us in this world, I think of this with Nachman Brasil. Nachman Brasil, it's actually in Ari Kaplan's uh, Restore My Soul in the introduction. I said this in one of my drushas at least five or six years ago. But, uh, um, but it's such a powerful story. Uh, Nachman Brasil says the following thing. He says there was once a person uh, who earned his living by, by mining uh, clay. And he was mining and mining and mining. He was a poor, poor man. And one day he found a diamond. Found a diamond. And 250 years ago, if you had found a precious diamond, the place to sell it was London. So this person was ecstatic. He found this beautiful diamond and now he's going to be rich. His whole life just transferred and he decided to go to London to sell the diamond on the market, and now he'd have the ability to uh, pay for what he needs 
to live a life of comfort. And he was so excited. So he comes to the ship. And uh, he gets to the ship. And they say, where's your fare to be on the ship? And he said, I don't have any money. He, he said, well, you're not going to the ship. You know, you know, to, from, you know, to go to London if you don't have the money. He says, but I, I can pay. Uh, when I get there, I, have, I can pay full fare. So they bring the captain. He said, the captain says, how are you going to pay full fare when you get there? And this passenger shows the captain this diamond. The captain sees the diamond. He's really impressed. He says, you're going to have first class. If you have such a diamond, you could be in first class. And this person, this simple person who would mine in the clay mines, is living a life on the first class. And he would eat the most gourmet meals on the ship. And sometimes when he's eating these meals, he would put the diamond in front of him just to stare at it. Just staring at this diamond made him feel so great. It was really so, you know, such a good feeling to think. Because the diamond wasn't a diamond. The diamond represented to him his future. His living in a beautiful home, having servants to serve him, you know, helping the people he wanted to help. That diamond, when he saw that diamond, it made him so happy. And one day, um, you know, as he was finishing his meal and putting the diamond in front of him, he, was, he ate so well, he dozed off and, you know, fell slightly asleep. And as he's dozing off, the waiter comes and uh, decides to clean up his meal. And, and in those days, there, were, there was not such a green movement and, very, and they didn't have plastics. Uh, they, 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 one of the ways they cleaned up is they threw it right into the sea. <laughs> right into the sea. And the waiter took his plate, not seeing the diamond was there, and threw it into the sea. Uh, and the person woke up a few minutes later and realized exactly what happened. He lost the diamond. It was thrown into the sea. There's no way he's going to get it back. And so at that moment, he said to himself, if he, if the captain knows, forgetting that first class anymore, they may throw him off the boat. I mean, so he decided to himself that he was going to continue behaving as if he had the diamond. He would go with a spirit of optimism, like living it up exactly like he was doing. Literally exactly like he was doing when he had the diamond sitting there staring at it. And then he was doing this day after day, so a few weeks' journey to get to London. And one day the captain says to him the following thing. He says he has a problem. He has some legal difficulties with the ship. And if it's the captain's name, um, it will really be a problem legally. So he, the captain asked him, can I sign over the, the bill of lading for the whole ship all of the cargo of the ship to you. I'll put it, it, was a, it was a huge amount of, uh, of wheat, like, you know, which was going to be in London. A huge amount. Can I sign it over to your name? And so, so Joseph said, sure. And he signed it over. Literally, that the, all of the cargo of the ship, a fortune, was going to be put into this clay digger's name. And the boat went on, and when they were a few days away from London, the captain died on the ship. And now, this person, this clay digger, was coming into London, owning all of the cargo of the ship. Um, and uh, the ship itself was worth much more to the di- than, than the diamond. So Nachman Aggressive said the following thing. The man would now be wealthy. I'm going to actually quote from the thing. The man would now, would now be wealthy, and it was all a result of his optimism. And Rav Nachman concludes the story saying, the diamond, this is very important, the diamond did not belong to the man. The proof is that it did not remain with him. 
the wheat was meant to be his. The proof is, it did remain with him. He had his good fortune only because he did not let his misfortune overwhelm him. Overwhelm him. That he had his good fortune only because he did not let his misfortune overwhelm him. Right? We're in a situation where we can have great fortune this year. Where our Seder, our Pesach, can be one of the greatest heights. The way we do it is to realize that whatever diamonds we thought we had or we were supposed to have, whatever we imagine we'll be doing in the weeks coming into Pesach or on Pesach itself, we were never ever having to have. It was all illusion. What we will have this year, if we take advantage of it, is worth way more than the diamonds we thought. The key to getting all of that is bitachon. So I thank everyone for listening the past two or three weeks as we prepare for Pesach. I know that it helped me, and I wish, want to wish everyone a Chag, Kasher, Esameach, should be a Seder like no other, and in the schus of our Sedarim and Klai Sedarim, we should see a Shua Bekarov, we should see good health in the world, we should all be closer to Hashem than ever before, and we should be Zeichet to have a Geula Shlema in Hera Vyamenu. Okay? Chag, Kasher, Esameach to everybody. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Ma- Rabbi. My pleasure. Mazel and bracha. She'd be beautiful, Sadarin. Kasher Pesach. Enjoy, enjoy. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you.